Father in heaven, today we're thankful that we can just come into your courts with thanksgiving and with praise. We can spend a few hours studying the sanctuary. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be with us, that you would lead and guide us. And uh, we know that you can because you have, and you have through the truth of the sanctuary. And so we thank you for that, and we ask that your Spirit would be with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The sanctuary and uh, this generation is what we're going to talk about first here. Now, I told you I'd teach you a song when I was down in uh, Mexico doing a mission trip a few years ago. They taught me a song, so I'll teach it to you. It goes like this. Don't you know, don't you know you are the temple? Don't you know, don't you know you are the temple? Don't you know, don't you know you are the temple? You are the temple of the Spirit of the Lord. How do you like that song? Let's sing it together. Don't you know, don't you know you are the temple? Don't you know, don't you know you are the temple? Don't you know, don't you know you are the temple? You are the temple of the Spirit of the Lord. Think you can learn that? You will. Because we'll sing it another couple times. Now, was that a little too high for you? When you sing this early in the morning, that's what happens. So, okay, you say, you know? I'm just happy to be walking in California. It's much earlier. So actually, it's the middle of the night for me. The sanctuary and this generation. Have you ever heard this, this saying, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing? How many of you ever heard that saying? And the main thing, what is the main thing of Scripture? You know, as another says, he who is everywhere is nowhere. In other words, if you're not focused, if you don't have a priority, if you don't know where you're headed, you're probably not going to get there. And uh, so, what is the main point of Scripture? What would you say the main point of Scripture is? Jesus Christ. Salvation. All right, these are all good. Anything else? Um, The main point of Scripture. Well, some people would say, well, love is the main thing. I've heard people say that. Uh, The greatest of these is love. Well, if it's the greatest, how many of you think if it's the greatest, it would have to be the main thing? I mean, it's, it's the greatest. Well, some people would say, no, uh, the cross is the main thing. God forbid, save us the glory, save in the cross of Christ my King. So some would say the cross is the main thing. In fact, you know, since about the 6th century, before that they never did this, people began wearing crosses. In fact, in some churches you go and they have the cross as the most prominent thing. And some hospitals you go and the cross is there and Christ is hanging on the cross. So some would say, the cross. And I I think these are wonderful texts. Paul says, God forbid, save I glory in anything but the cross. So that's the main thing, wouldn't you say? Love's the main thing, the cross is the main thing. Well, what about the commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, if you can't have anything else before him, probably he's the main thing. How many can see... the? This, this question of what's the main thing, right? And uh, we, if, we, if we're going to keep the main thing the main thing, we better know what the main thing is. Well, let me look at another text with you in Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, let's look together at it. Hebrews chapter 8, and let's, let's look there together. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now this, Paul says, is the main point of the things that we've been saying. 
We have a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. So Paul says the main point of the things we've been saying. Now, who's he writing to here? Oh, the Hebrews and the Hebrews as well. I mean, you know, this, this whole idea is to the Hebrews and the Hebrews had this question and their question was, what's the main thing? What's the main thing? What, 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 what does it mean that Christ has come, right? And so he, he says, no, this is the main point of the things that we've been saying. The King James says, this is the sum. This is it. Now, what's a sum? The total amount resulting when two or more numbers are added together. So if you added everything up, this is the sum. You put it all together. Let me suggest that all those other texts, the cross and God's love and everything else, if you add it up and you sum it up, it all can be found in the sanctuary. How many would think that's probably true? The uh, cephalaion, or the, like we get, cephalos, the head. So in other words, the main point, the head of the things that we've been saying is that we have a Christ who's in the sanctuary, says verse 2. A minister of the sanctuary, Hebrews 8, 2, and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. You say hallelujah? (laughs) So this is the main point. Now, Let's, let's continue on here a little bit more. Who wrote uh, most of the books in the Old Testament? Probably say Moses, right? You, the longest book, of course, uh, would be Jeremiah. If It takes about four and a half hours to read that. And then, then you want to read Lamentations because you're crying because you read so long. No. But anyway, so you got Jeremiah and Lamentations, right? And how many chapters within those books of the Pentateuch, we'd call them, Pentateuch 5, the Pentateuch, how many chapters in those books focus on the sanctuary? It's about 40, even more. So, if you were to ask Moses, what is the main point of the Bible? Which, of course, when Moses wrote the Bible, (laughs) there weren't too many other things out there to read. Some might say the book of Job. But, you know, he would say the main thing is the sanctuary. How many would agree with that? What about the prophets? Who are the prophets? Not where do you get the prophets, but who are the prophets? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, these are the major prophets, the minor prophets. If you looked at them, what is the focus of the prophets? Did they have anything to say about the sanctuary? When you read their books... Now, one of these things, the reason I'm bringing this up is some people say, why do you Adventists talk about the sanctuary so much? There's not really that much in the Bible. Have you read the Bible recently? Forty chapters in the first five books. And the Old Testament prophets, how many chapters do they devote to the subject of the sanctuary? It's over 40 again. As you just read through them, you just go, you put down, you look at it and go, wow! Now, how many think we can go through all 40 chapters this morning, in our next six hours. Yeah, maybe if we gave assignments and each of us were reading, we might be able to read it all. But the prophets, they focused on it as well. The majority of the festivals 
of ancient Israel focused on the sanctuary. In fact, I might dare say all of them did. We're going to come back to this at the end. But we had all of the festivals on, on earth and in heaven, if you will. That should be saying Passover and unleavened bread and wave sheath. Then Pentecost and trumpets and the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Booths. All of these festivals focused and revolved around the sanctuary. So every kind of, every time they got together for a significant meal, like a festival, what were they thinking about? The sanctuary. Sanctuary. Have you ever talked to someone and over and over again they start saying the same thing and you start thinking, maybe, maybe, maybe they, they're thinking about that. You know? This is the whole idea of advertising. You know, just like in the middle of everything you go, Coca-Cola comes up, Coca-Cola comes up. And then you finally, you finally think, wait a minute, maybe they're trying to get me to think about Coca-Cola. No, they used to do it in such a way that uh, you couldn't even see it on the screen. You'd see a movie and they'd have these frames. They wouldn't even see it, but they'd study that people would actually respond because they subconsciously would see that. But in the Old Testament... Festivals, all of them focused on the sanctuary. Spring feast and then the autumn. Fall feast. This is a harp that is, looks like it's, it's an actual, uh, I guess an old harp. This is definitely not an auto harp. This is, uh, not to harp on it any longer, but this is a harp. From the internet, so I don't know exactly where it's from. It's not, it looks old enough to be David's actual harp, but I don't think so. What's that? No. It's a Jew's harp, yeah. Well, not a Jew's harp. Who wrote most of the Old Testament Psalms? How many are there? There's 150. How many of those Psalms focused on the sanctuary? Over 100 of them. If you look at them, there, he's singing about the sanctuary. Listen to David sing. In Psalm 27, 4, One thing have I desired. How many of you ever heard this song? One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. How many of you remember that song? That's his favorite song. He says, The one thing I have desired. <laughs> one thing. We, bought a, we brought a model sanctuary to our Church, actually, two times. I got so into this. The first time we brought the sanctuary, we had about 1,600 people go through it and, and started about 500 Bible studies, and there were six people baptized just by going through the sanctuary. And we worked with the Oklahoma. You can see them here. And we worked on following up those studies. We had six people baptized. It was interesting to see how interested people are in the sanctuary. I was like David. I, I got so into the sanctuary, I decided to sleep overnight. I don't recommend this if it was a real sanctuary. Overnight in the most holy place. So, I, you know, I'm sleeping at the church property in the most holy place, you know, guarding the ark. And uh, so I am I'm sleeping there. And in the morning, this helicopter comes. There's a helicopter that comes over my church. And they're taking a picture of the sanctuary from up above. I hear those, whoo! I wake up, I wake up, I go out, and I look up, and there's a helicopter. People are interested in the sanctuary. And David was supremely interested. He said, one thing have I desired, that will I seek after. I'll tell you more about that. I'll show you some pictures of that sanctuary that was set up there. 
So he says, I want to inquire in the temple. And by the way, those of you who have just come in, at the end of today, uh, for the, of the first lecture, I'll be giving away the first model sanctuary. So if you fill one of these out, I'll be taking a, a drawing exclusively for those who are in the seminar and that stay all through, uh, you know, the, the different lectures. I'm giving away one at the end of each hour. So if you haven't filled it out, fill it out because I'm going to be picking up. What about the New Testament? So the Old Testament, how many would disagree? The Old Testament, the big focus, the main thing was the sanctuary. What about the New Testament? The New Testament have anything to say about the sanctuary? How did Jesus begin his ministry? Went to the temple. I mean, how did he, I mean, even when he was a little kid, right? He was taken there, he was dedicated, and, and uh, the focus was on the, was on the sanctuary. How did he conclude his ministry? He started his ministry by cleansing it. How did he conclude his ministry? By cleansing the sanctuary again. So, uh, New Testament seems to have something. What did he call the temple? My house. My father's house. Then he made a little switch. Your house is left unto you desolate, but that's a little later. He was always sending people there. He said, go, show yourself to the priest. Right? So he was constantly focusing on... The sanctuary. In fact, he was a sanctuary. Right? He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And they thought he was talking about the temple, he says, you know. And it was interchangeable in in his mind. He said, I am. And then, of course, John chapter 1, he tabernacled with us. So, I mean... In our class, we're not going to deal a lot with the basics. In fact, this is the only slide I'm going to have because I'm assuming all of you pretty much know the basics. I mean, you're from GYC. So I'm not going to deal too much. But I want to tell you that just the model of the sanctuary, one of the reasons I'm giving you some models is because, I'll just tell you a little story. I was, I was uh, working with this in this, this town, and... Uh, I said, how am I going to know who to reach here? I don't have, I only have three members in this church the conference gave me. And, uh, so, you know, pretty much straight up from there. <laughs> and, uh, so I said, how can I find the most honest person? I read that story about Mr. Hewitt in Battle Creek, and I said, I want to find the most honest person here, so I began to pray. And I, I just believed the Lord was going to bring me to this honest person. And so I met this man, his name was Mike. So I'm talking to Mike, and Mike's a Baptist. And he says, you know, I'm having problems with the Baptist church. I said, why is that? He goes, well, I learned some things in the Bible that they say are not that important. And I said, well, what did you learn? He says, I think the Ten Commandments are important. I said, this has got to be the most honest man in town. He says, but he says, that's the old covenant. So I drew him a picture. He was working in a wood shop. And I took a different pieces of wood off his shop. And I, I drew down in my hand in the dust of the wood shop a picture of the sanctuary. And I started to go through the sanctuary. And uh, showed him the lamb. I had a little piece of wood that represented the lamb. And Jesus, you know, what did it say in John chapter 1, verse 29? Behold the lamb of God that taketh away the world. And I said, you know, that lamb, all of those sacrifices represented who? Jesus. Then we went to the bread. And what does Jesus say about the bread? I am the bread of life. Then I talked about the veil. Uh, the garment or, or his flesh. Every veil represents some way the incarnation, the fact that he came and came near us, lived within our humanity. 
And every, everything about the sanctuary kind of speaks to that. Right? Not kind of, it actually does. It's interesting that the, the outer covering was, was, was badger skin, which was unclean. It was the likeness of sinful flesh even. <laughs> right? Not to badger the point. But here is the whole idea, right? And then the, uh, the, the altar of sacrifice. Uh, the lamb was sacrificed there. And uh, because of that, then the original lamb was sacrificed. What could God do? He could pass over Exodus 12. Pass over what? Pass over the firstborn of anybody who put that blood on the doorpost. Right? So uh, then also you had the laver, which turned incidentally green once it was oxidized, the copper. So it was like the color of green, of loyalty. But that laver, what did Jesus say about about the labor. What did he say about the water? He said, I am the water of life. Right? And then, of course, you have the lampstand. Who'd that point to? John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. And then, of course, the altar of incense. Hebrews seven twenty five. He ever lives to intercede. That incense went up and then over that curtain and right there into the most holy place. And then the ark... In John chapter 15, verse 10, it says, I have always kept my Father's commandments. And did he keep them perfectly? And did the ark perfectly keep the commandments in itself? So I drew this picture there, and I went through this with Mike. And I showed him, you know, how the blood went in, and after it was sprinkled there, and I talked about what happened. But then I just showed him, I said, look, every single aspect of this Old Testament sanctuary points to Jesus. The lamb points to Jesus. The bread points to Jesus. The veil, every veil points to Jesus. The altar of sacrifice points to Jesus. Jesus said, I am Christ, your, your, Paul said, Christ, your Passover was sacrificed for you. Um, I am the water of life. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. He ever lives to make intercession. And uh, he said to Peter, I have prayed for you. And when you're converted, you'll strengthen the brethren. And then he, like the ark, he perfectly kept the law in his life. So everything about the sanctuary was representing Jesus, both in the daily and also at the end of the year, which we'll talk more about later on. Now, I drew this picture for him on the floor. Here's Mike. I'm thinking he's the most honest man in town because he says he wants to keep the commandments. And I prayed sincerely that the Lord will lead me to him. And I, I, I drew the sanctuary on the floor. I mean, this is my first Bible study. Guess what he does? He what? He built me one? Brother, I like the way you think. Too bad you're not Mike. No, he did not build me a sanctuary. What do you think he did? He what? He said it's not important. Well, you're very optimistic. I, you're looking for rejection here. No, no. But he could have. Some people would say that. But remember, he said that he wanted to keep the commandments, right? You know what he did? This is what he did. He started to weep and cry. And he says, I have never seen that before in my life. This is the most wonderful thing I have ever seen. Where's your church? Can I come to your church? And the next week he came to church. 
because he saw Jesus for the first time in the Old Testament. So let me tell you that what you study here, you, some, how many of you have grown up Seventh-day Adventist? How many of you are, should I ask the other thing? How many of you are Adventists within the last five years? One, two, three. Isn't this beautiful? More beautiful to you than these other people. When you first saw it, isn't it? More beautiful, perhaps. But let me just say, if you've been Adventist all your life, it gets more and more beautiful too. Amen? Amen. So, you know, uh, this, this, this will change people's lives. I just saw it change his life. Just, just that little diagram. And you know, when he started to cry, I started to cry. We're both crying. And his wife comes in. <laughs> comes in the shop. She comes in. We're both, <laughs> we're not exactly like that, but we're crying, you know. And I'm hugging the guy. And his wife walks in. We're kneeling on the floor next to the sanctuary. <laughs> And she goes, is there something wrong? She thought her husband had a heart attack. And then he went through, and he showed her everything I just showed him. He says, let me show you what I just learned. She wasn't as impressed. She thought I was a cult leader. You know, thought maybe I was David Corus or something. But over time, she finally came into the Adventist church as well. Sanctuary. Just that simple diagram. That's why I'm giving you a model at the end of today. Because if you just draw it out, you're studying with kids. You're talking to someone else. You share it with them. I was on the plane on the way here. You know, it was hard for me to get here today. In fact, I got here yesterday, so I didn't get here today. But on the, on the plane, I, I was supposed to leave at 6 o'clock from Sacramento. I set my Macintosh phone, iPhone alarm. But I learned that I didn't know how to set it, so I missed my first flight. Luckily, <laughs> luckily, luckily, I got another flight for only about uh, 25,000 frequent flyer miles, miles. So I got another flight, and I was, I, I was going to that flight, but I misjudged again. I left in rush hour, and I go, oh, no, I'm not going to get there. So I made this decision to go in the lane where only cars that have more than two or three people can go. Was this a good decision? No. I thought it was because, uh, you know, the uh, end justifies the means, I thought, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? But all of a sudden, it was like Christmas in my rearview mirror. <laughs> Have yourself a dreary little Christmas. I began to sing to myself. And the policeman pulls me over, and he gets me out of the car, and I said to him, I don't know how to say this, but I need mercy. I said, I'm pleading with you. I already missed one flight today. I have to talk to these people. And they're, they're waiting for me. That was you guys. And, and, and I said, I'll crawl down the floor. I'll, I'll do it. What do, you, what do your kids want for Christmas? What can I do? And, and, and he, he just looked at me, and I just went. I just went for a while. I said, I'm going to go till I see some change in his eyes. And I just go. I said, and I, and, and, and I think he thought I was going to snap, literally. But he says to me, he says, you know what? You just go on. But... Not in this lane. <laughs> so then I get to the airport. I say, praise God. Get to the airport. I can talk about the sanctuary. Hey, I'm building up to something here. You're going, what is the illustration? is too big. Don't worry. I get to the airport. Another small detail. I forgot to put gas in my car the night before. My car began to sputter. I was going like this, you know, the jiggle method. And I, got, I went for another quarter mile trying to get the thing. I get to the final hill just before... 
the airport, gas station, and my car went dead. So I said, well, I know the health message. I can push the car. So I got out to push the car up a hill. I go to push the car over the hill. I almost had three or four inguinal hernias at once. And as I'm trying to push the car, I said, wait a minute, the health message is not working. I got back in the car and I said, Lord, I said this, maybe I shouldn't have said it, you can critique me, but I said, Lord, you don't want to have less mercy than the California policeman. I said, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I got myself in a bind. I have nothing at all to rely upon except your mercy and grace. I have, according to my works, have worked myself into a grave here. I can't push the car over the bridge. I'm going to miss my flight. But it's for you. It's a sanctuary doctrine. If you think it's important, and if you believe it's important, I know there's 40 chapters in the first five books. I know there's 40 chapters of the prophets. I know they sing about it a lot. Praise God. The sanctuary is wonderful. But if I'm just to, to say here and witness to my family about it, it's up to you. Because now I've really messed it up. By the way, in the sanctuary, everything taught the message of we're saved by grace through faith. Every single thing. When you went there, you went by faith that something would happen. You had to rely on somebody else to take care of the lamb that you brought. They had to rely on someone else to represent them inside the most holy place. They had to rely upon the fact that God would accept them. The priests, when they were consecrated, they couldn't even wash themselves. That day of consecration, they were washed by other people. They were dressed by other people. Everything was done by other people. That's what I was thinking in the car. I said, Lord, you know what happened? Well, you know what happened. That's the, the, the most recent miracle in my life. The car started up. It was out of gas. I drove over the hill. Praise God. And then the car went. But I coasted right into the gas station. God said, I will give you some grace. But go and sin no more, brother. Now, what was the real reason this happened? I figured it out when I was on the, on the plane trip. I sat next to a lady. She began to talk to me. And to open up her heart to me. And begin to share with me. And you know what the message was that she needed to hear? Sanctuary. She's probably going online right now looking for the notes that I'm posting because I told her the notes are going to be online. So, Old Testament, sanctuary is a big thing. New Testament, sanctuary is a big thing when you look at the life of Jesus. And we looked at that. Um, Look at the book of Acts just in your mind's eye. Did they ever talk about the sanctuary? Did the disciples spend any time at the temple? The first six chapters, the first seven chapters are almost exclusively focused on what? The sanctuary. And leading that sanctuary, or giving that sanctuary truth to others. And then, when you get to Acts chapter 15, and James is preaching there, in Acts chapter 15, he starts to apply the sanctuary message to the new church, the Christian church. And then all the way through the book of Acts, you can see how the sanctuary message is applied. So, uh, how did the priests relate to the apostles' interpretation of the sanctuary message. Did they like it? Did they like how Stephen said, there's a sanctuary now in heaven? Did they like that? I'm going to tell you something. When you talk about the sanctuary doctrine, the devil hates it. Some Christians hate it. Some Adventists even hate it. 
And uh, especially when you're teaching the truth of the sanctuary message. What was so provocative about his message? He says, look, the action's not here, it's upstairs. And there was this always a tension in the, in the temple, if you're taking notes. There was a tension between the priests and the prophets. The priests almost got to the point, like some people maybe that are at ASI or GYC or Elemental P or QRS and TUV or whatever convention they go to. You can find people that go to places like this, and the only reason they're there is to market their products to the 15 million Adventists. They love to go, and they love to do a good job marketing their stuff. Now, I'm thankful for resources. I'm gonna, I've talked to you about AFCO myself, right? You're, going, you're doing the same thing. But I tell you what. The priests got so into that that they wanted people to bring more and more sacrifices and more and more offerings, and they wanted their, their chunk of change. And the prophets would come along and say things like I just said, and the priests didn't like the prophets. The prophets always got beat up and killed, and the priests got fat. The priests profited. Right. Book of Acts. What about the book of Revelation? We go all the way. We can look at the epistles, of course, Hebrews. Is all about the sanctuary. What about the book of Revelation? Is the sanctuary in the book of Revelation? All the way through the book of Revelation. Now look, every single one of the Gospels has an apocalypse. Matthew chapter 24 talks about end time events. Mark has an apocalypse. Mark chapter 13 talks about end time events. Luke chapter 21 has an apocalypse. It talks about end time events. And Pastor Finley's going through all those things right now. Does John have an apocalypse? Yes, it's the book of Revelation. And he goes all the way through that book of Revelation. Now remember, in the apocalypse, it's kind of built on the same thing that Jesus was covering in Matthew chapter 24. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 was answering two questions. Many times people will say to me, that's a dual application in Matthew 24. I don't believe it is. It's answering two questions. What will, when will these stones be cast down, the disciples asked. When will these things be? And what is the sign of your coming? Those are two questions. Number one, when will these stones be cast down? Number two, what is the sign of your coming? How many of you can see that that's different than a dual application? How many of you can see that? You know why that's so important? Because we live in an era where people will say, well, it's just applied different ways. We used to have a scholar in our church that said, well, it's, uh, it's just applied in different ways, multiple ways. And they're right in what they're, they affirm and wrong and what they don't. Or there are just this and that and the other. And, and the whole idea was dual applications. And remember what I said, he who is everywhere is nowhere. <laughs> and what happens is, here we have in Matthew chapter 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, this, this, this end time events, but we also have this answering of the question, when will these stones be cast down, and then what takes their place? Now the book of Revelation is elegant, because what it does is it does not pick up the sanctuary message with the cross, per se, or with the outer court. It says, leave out the outer court. That's already been covered. But then it just moves through the sanctuary. Look at this with me. And you don't want to get these notes downloaded off the internet if you can't keep up. In Revelation chapter 1, we see Jesus walking amidst the lampstands, right. Candlesticks, of course, is the wrong way to say it. Because uh, candles, they didn't use candles back then. This was not kind of a wax job. It's a lampstand. And in the lamp, you had oil that came in. Not, nothing against you, doctor. But lampstands, you just reminded me. 
And, and in Revelation chapter 4, we have God's throne. I'll come back to that. It's really an inauguration scene. Then we have the altar of incense. Incense and prayer are mentioned in chapter 8, verse 3, and then chapter 9 and verse 13. Horns of the altar, the trumpets. And then chapter 11, verse 1, he says, measure the temple. We're going to come back to these. Measure the people in the temple and those who worship there. And then you have the Ark of the Covenant that's mentioned next. Can you see this progressive movement through the sanctuary in the book of Revelation? And then in chapter 14, we have angels coming from the temple with messages. Seven angels' messages in Revelation 14. We always talk about the three, but it's kind of like a chiasm. uh, With Jesus right in the middle. The three angels' messages, Jesus coming, and then three messages that go along with that. So, the angels from the temple. And then we have the temple opened, Revelation chapter 15. And we have that temple opened, and we see that probation comes to a close. And then we see the white throne judgment, right? In Revelation chapter 20. And then finally, we see the throne of God, Revelation 22 verse 1. Can you see that the book of Revelation focuses on the sanctuary? How many can see that? In fact, it's almost as if the author of the book of Revelation had read the rest of the Bible. And he saw that the prophets had spent 40 chapters on it. And the Pentateuch had spent 40 chapters. And the psalmist, he pulls it all together. Now at AFCO, I spend a whole quarter going through this and showing you all these different things. I can't do that here. But... but it is fascinating to see Jesus in the book of Revelation. We'll come back to this slide a little bit later in another presentation. I'm just giving you the overview. So the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, you know what that word reproof means? What's it mean? Hello? Correction? No, that's the next word. <laughs> yes, to reprove it. So if you reprove something, that means the proof is already in the pudding, but you must eat the pudding together. So what I've been trying to do with you is reprove you today. <coughs> we have gone through the Bible and I've shown you that the main message of the Bible is the what? Sanctuary message. I have reproved it to you. How have I done? So, in other words, you've been reproved. How many of you are thankful to be reproved today? How many of you love reproof? (laughs) Poor. (laughs) Yes. That's the whole idea of Bible study. Now, we want to do it in a way that just reproves things. Because some people think, well, it's not that important, even in our own church, the sanctuary message. But what we've been learning here is that it is, in fact, important. Someone tell me what time it is since I don't have a clock. So I can take... It's 10-10? Okay, let's keep going. All right, we've reproved it. Now, because of that, you notice something. When you study the Bible with people, what is the best thing to do? Study the Bible with people. Right. You pray, and then you use the Bible. How many of you have ever heard people that will start with Ellen White? Now, that's fine if you're in a certain audience, but some people don't know about Ellen White. So is it, is it best to lead with that? So what I've done today, I'm kind of modeling for you. You start with the biblical evidence, and then I love to do this. 
And then I look at what the early pioneers came as they looked at the same evidence. Did William Miller, who was an Adventist, believing that Jesus was coming, did he think the sanctuary message was important? Of course he did. What was his key text? Daniel 8.14, unto 2,300 evenings and mornings, then shall the sanctuary be... Right? On the 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And what did he think the sanctuary was? And earth was connected with heaven. I mean, he had some good points, right? He was kind of off there, but he was on, on a, lot of, a lot of points, wasn't he? But the point that I'm trying to make here is that William Miller's sanctuary doctrine laid the foundation for the Adventist church. Well, actually, the Bible sanctuary doctrine laid the foundation for William Miller's sanctuary doctrine, which laid the foundation for the Adventist church, right? Now, who was the first Adventist? What did the Adventists do with that? Who was the first Adventist that began to look at the sanctuary doctrine, Seventh-day Adventist, after, <coughs> after William Miller? Crozier was not, but his sidekick, Hiram. Crozier was the writer of the group. There was this guy named Hahn, Dr. Hahn, and then there was um, Crozier, and there was uh, Hiram Edson, And here's what Hiram has to say. This is when he had a haircut like Doug Batchelor. While passing through a large field, actually, Doug Batchelor kind of styled this after him. Don't tell Doug I said that. Okay. That's already on the tape, isn't it? Okay, we're going to have to start over. No. (laughs) While passing through a large field, I was stopped. Heaven seemed open to my view. I saw distinctly and clearly that instead of our high priest coming out of the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary to this earth on the 10th day of the 7th month at the end of the 2300 days. He, for the first time, entered on that day into the second apartment of that sanctuary and that he had a work to do to perform in the most holy place before coming to the earth. So he sees that. Now, that, that, that resonated with Crozier and Hahn. Crozier wrote it out. He later rejected it. But he wrote it out, wrote it out in an in a article or, that was called The Law of Moses that then showed up in the Day Star that was sent to all the early Advent believers and it helped explain what was happening there. Now let me ask you a question. Was Hiram Edson right? Yeah, he was right. Was he right to focus on the sanctuary? Was he right to see it's a main thing and knowing what Jesus was doing there was important, was key? Yeah. Then notice how the others followed on. You see, the biblical basis for the sanctuary doctrine, if you, there's an excellent book by Paul Gordon that looks at the biblical basis for the sanctuary doctrine in the early pioneers. It's called 1844 in the Pioneers. Write it down in your notes. It is a very good book to read. But in that particular book, this is what it says. Between 1849 and 1905, one finds more than how many articles? 400 articles in the Present Truth and Advent Review and the Sabbath Herald on the subject of the sanctuary. How many articles? 400 articles. Now, these are articles that are all based with Ellen White quotes. They're just Ellen White quotations all throughout the article, yes or no? They have absolutely no Ellen White quotes. They go just through Bible studies, just like we've been going through. And they go through all that evidence that I just gave an overview tediously sometimes. But not for me. I love it. I love reading those things. And uh, these are powerful. Now, the principal uh, apologists for the sanctuary doctrine were J.N. Andrews, James White, and Uriah Smith. Uriah Smith, Smith wrote a book, Looking Unto Jesus. 
J.N. Andrews wrote The Certainty of the Three Angels' Message, and many books. I have a little pamphlet here in my, in my bag that I just was reading. The Sanctuary, J.N. Andrews. He even drew a picture on this one. And they, uh, they would just study this out. James White had many uh, sermons and many articles. They authored 65% of the articles on the Sanctuary Doctrine. These three, three authors did. Powerful. You know what? What I like about GYC? GYC is a place where you come and you really, you talk about things that you normally, they're a little deeper. You know, Adventists used to be really deep. If you start to read the old reviews, you begin to see that you probably have attention deficit disorder. (laughs) Because, I mean, just to follow the argument, sometimes you have to go, wait a minute, let me go back and see that. And then you see it, and I'll say, well, that's profound, that's profound. And the profundity goes on for two hours. And that's just one sermon. I used to have this, this, this pastor, his name was Pastor Spears when I was growing up. He memorized the whole Bible. Lived in California. He, and when he, when he would preach, he would have a man come up front and he'd say, write down what I say. Write the text on the board so the people can have the text. And after he'd say something, he'd say, write it down. And I sat there, I was eight years old. And I'm listening to this guy and I'm like, and the man who was writing down the text, he starts sweating profusely because he can't keep up. He's going so fast. And he goes to the next, and then the people are writing the text down, and then he erases it, and he keeps writing it down back and forth. And then he says to the pastor, can you please slow down? I'm sweating. And the pastor says, you're sweating, because he was preaching all those texts. But that sermon, any Sabbath I'd listen to him, it was usually 96 texts, or 100 texts, or 150 texts. Today in a sermon, if you hear six to nine texts, you know? Now, I'm not saying that you just have to overwhelm people with information. Back then, they knew, all the people listening pretty much knew those texts. You know, they could probably finish the sentences. So they offered 400 articles. <laughs> Here's what Jane Andrews said about the sanctuary. Talking about. The view that Seventh-day Adventists have to present of the sanctuary is the great central doctrine of their system. Now, James, Jay and Andrews is, of course, wrong. It's not just the doctrine of the Adventist system. As I've shown you, it's the great central doctrine of the what? I, you know, James would... I would never say that if Jay and Andrews was here because he also had the, pretty much the whole Bible memorized as well. And he would give us a Bible study on the whole thing. Why was it so? He says, for it (laughs) inseparably connects all the points of their faith and presents the subject as one grand whole. You know, I'll just tell you this. What kills people many times is topical Bible studies. They don't see how it's connected. You go from this text to that text to the other text. But if you have a system that helps them see it all, it comes together. This is what changed my life. When I heard the sanctuary doctrine, when I was in my 20s again, I, came, I was coming back to the Lord. I'd been an atheist. I'd been out and going to a far country with not as much money as the prodigal son and not as much success. Everywhere I went, I got beat up. I got beat up on almost every continent. And finally, I could tell you some stories, but I don't have time. When I came back and I heard this doctrine, the sanctuary, I can remember listening to it, and a man was lecturing, and I just started crying. Just like the guy started crying there. I started crying. I'm just going, I could not believe the beauty and wonder of the sanctuary doctrine. And these early Adventists, they did too. I mean, they, 
they had gone through a terrible, traumatic disappointment. And what the sanctuary did was, was bring it back together for them. If it bring it back together for them, it probably will for you. You've not gone through a disappointment like they've gone through. I mean, look at Jay and Andrews. He lost his wife. He lost his daughter. He, he, he went through all kinds of things. And yet, he believed to the very end. And he wrote right up to the very end. He was translating this doctrine into the French language. And he was all the way through his life. Sanctuary doctrine was a wonderful hope for him. Uriah Smith. The subject of the sanctuary is one which should specially engage the attention of, this is how they put it back then, S.D. Adventist, (laughs) Seventh-day Adventist. (coughs) It is a subject peculiar to this people. Every one of our people should therefore make it a point of first importance to become thoroughly conversant with this subject. Wow! I'm surprised we're not full here, right? First importance. James White, the present truth that Christ is now ministering in the most holy place. The present truth has found him. In other words, they said, where is he? To the joy of there, that is the Advent believers' hearts. We have witnessed the flowing of tears and have witnessed the flowing of, of some such as the literal sanctuary in heaven has been pointed out and the literal Jesus shown to be standing before the mercy seat that is over the Ark of the Ten Commandments still pleading with his blood for the heirs of his people. And we have heard them express great joy that they have found Jesus. You know, so many churches today We'll talk a lot about Jesus, but they don't know where he is. They don't know what he's doing. They have no idea what he's doing. I'll ask a Christian sometimes, I'll say, well, what do you think Jesus is doing now? Oh, oh, he's up there forgiving my sins. Oh, he's just up there to forgive your sins. That's what he's doing. That's all about you and what he's doing for you. Yes. You know, we have a selfish doctrine, don't we? Right? Well... Does he take care of your sins up there? Isn't that a wonderful truth? But is that all he's doing? You've got to understand what he's doing if uh, you want to know where you're going. We live in the postmodern, whatever that means, generation. And one thing they say about postmodern people, I don't know what postmodern is. Does that mean like they're dead? <laughs> I mean, this is modern. We're right here. If they're post, they must be dead. I don't know. But anyway, is that they need closure. The sanctuary doctrine brings closure. It helps you understand how Jesus is going to close things up. James White, we not only believe in a literal Jesus, who's a minister of the sanctuary, but we also believe the sanctuary is literal. (laughs) How how many of you believe that? And more, when John says he saw one like the Son of Man in the midst of the seven candlesticks, John had a view of another part of the sanctuary. And he says, the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there were seen in this temple the ark of his covenant, or his testament, This being an event to take place under the sounding of the seventh angel, it should be fulfilled at no other time than at the end of the 2300 days. The Most Holy was then opened for our great high priest to enter to make atonement for the cleansing of the sanctuary. Look, he understood not only who Jesus was, but where he is and what he's doing. How many think that's important? The three W's. Who, what, and where. And also why. And when. The five W's. I don't know how many W's I'm up to. Between 1840 and 1844 and 1851. Now, have you noticed what I did? I went through the Bible evidence that says the sanctuary is a big deal. Prophets, Psalms, right? I'm going to ask you what I did at the end, the little quiz. I went through all those. Then I showed you the New Testament. Then I showed you what? 
the, ed, the old pioneers. Now I'm finally down to who? Ellen White, because this is the way it followed. The Bible study led to these firm convictions, and then she had how many visions between 1844 and 1851 focusing on the sanctuary doctrine? Eleven visions that specifically corroborated, in other words, gave evidence that they were on the right track. Isn't God good? God's good. Now, I just went to San Diego, (coughs) which I was thinking about going when I woke up this morning and walked outside. I thought maybe I should go right back to San Diego. And in San Diego, they had the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. And did you know that the Qumran Society focused on the heavenly sanctuary? Did you know that? They focused on the corruption of the, of the temple, and they, looked, they studied incessantly the temple. And they thought that when the temple was destroyed, they would be in charge and they would rebuild it. They had a doctrine of the heavenly sanctuary. They even had books written about what would be done every Sabbath in heaven. The only thing they didn't realize was they, they didn't accept Jesus when he came. Kind of a big mistake. That's why the Dead Sea Scrolls are dead. But what they speak to is that this doctrine of the sanctuary was so important during that time. Powerful to see that. Ellen White, what does she say about the sanctuary as we close up? It is the central pillar that sustains the structure of our position. The scripture which above all others has been the foundation and central pillar of the Advent faith was the declaration unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. She says, the central truth is the sanctuary. The central text is Daniel 8.14. And I love this one. Great Controversy, page 423. The subject of the sanctuary was the key that unlocked a complete system of truth, it says next. It opened to view a complete system of truth connected and harmonious. How many of you would agree with me that there's something in this this generation then to learn about the sanctuary? Is the sanctuary still the main thing? It is the main issue. And now you have a Bible study to give on it. Are you ready to give the Bible study? What did I cover? Number one, what did we find? Moses. Moses. How many chapters? Number two, the prophets. How many chapters? Number three, the Psalms. How many chapters? Then we looked at the New Testament. What did we find? All throughout. Book of Revelation. All throughout. The early pioneers. All throughout. They keep saying this is a central thing. Ellen White. Eleven visions in that short time span. It's the main thing. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.